Inside the IC is sponsored by Microsoft Federal, the choice for classified missions. Welcome to Inside the IC, sponsored by Microsoft Federal on Federal News Network. Now your host, Justin Doubleday. My guest today is the CIO at the Defense Intelligence Agency, Doug Casa. Doug, thanks so much for being with me today. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here. And we are sitting in your conference room here at DIA headquarters. That's yeah. pretty cool. Thanks for having me, hosting me here. Yeah, absolutely. A week after uh, the big DOTUS conference. So I know we just discussed a lot of these IT topics that are near and dear to your heart. And I wanted to follow up on one of those that seems pretty foundational to DIA and the intelligence community. That's JWIX, essentially a top secret IT network. Yeah, Joint Worldwide We're Intelligence Trump Communication System. Thank you. That connects yep. the intelligence community and the federal government across the world. And you're in the midst of modernizing that system. Can you talk a little bit more about JWIX and just where it's going? What, yeah, what do yeah. people need to know? And maybe I'll just start with a little bit of the history here. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned you're here at DIA headquarters, which is here at in Anacostia at Bowling Air Force Base. And this is this building is where JWICS actually started. So it started in the early 1990s, around the 91 timeframe, um, where out of this building, we were experimenting with how we do VTCs between this facility and the Pentagon, and then Norfolk, Virginia, which is where we also have a presence, uh, as well as obviously Navy down there. So we experimented and it actually worked. And so it was just a very small network between those three locations, uh, and it worked. And this was, you know, when the Internet was becoming more popular in the early 90s. Um, And as we headed into the mid-90s, it grew from just a VTC network of sending video um, to email. And we had extra bandwidth, so we added all kinds of different services. And that's really how JWIX came to be. And now it's been, what, over 30 years now, where it's really been the foundation for how we connect on the top secret level across the whole intelligence community. And I think the easiest way to explain it, because a lot of, a lot of folks refer to JWIX as their desktop environment, but it's actually not their desktop. Like the computer on your desk is what a lot of people say, you know, is JWIX. Right. But it's not. JWIX is it's what's known as a wide area network. And when you think about it in your own home, you have the same setup. Anyone has the same setup to where you have a a commercial internet service provider like Comcast or Xfinity, someone that provides internet to your home and there's fiber coming into your home. That service is JWIX. It's what connects all the agencies together to that big wide area network that brings us all together. But then once you're in your home, you might have, you know, your own uh, wireless uh, connectivity and off of that you might have some printers or laptops or desktops um, your phone your cell phone that you connect to that's all your local area network and what makes you DIA unique is we provide both the wide area network which is JWIX which is like the internet and then what's inside your home or what's inside many agencies which is that local area network and it's all the desktop infrastructure that goes along with that as well, like VTCs and phones and computers. Sure. That's what really differentiates us from most other agencies within the intelligence community, but also really the federal government as a whole. Um, and DNI has designated us as a service of common concern is what it's called. So a mm-hmm. service provider for agencies that don't necessarily have the expertise or the infrastructure or even the mission to run their own network. So we run JWIX, uh, and then on top of that, we run the desktop environment that rides on JWIX. And I think that's the easiest way to explain what it is. Um, but obviously, the world's changed a lot since the early 90s, yeah. right? So we have new technologies that we've had to integrate in over time. 
we have a new forward presence, not only at DIA around the world, but all agencies that connect to JWICs. And then, of course, the threats changed, right? So we, we didn't necessarily have the security issues back then that we have today. And so that's really called for the modernization of JWICs as we take it into the future. And when I think about what, what JWICs is and where it needs to go, it first starts with just what we like to call stabilizing the patient, right? Hmm. Getting it healthy to start, which is a lot of tech refresh. And that doesn't sound very exciting, but when you consider what tech refresh provides, uh, it's not only in terms of reliability of making sure you know, individuals uh, that access JWICs can do so effectively and you know, without interruption, but it also comes down to cybersecurity as well. And, and yeah. you and I talked about this a bit when we were at Adotus, was is that it's, it's kind of like a car warranty. So mm -hmm. when your car is out of warranty, it's no longer supported, right? You're, you're left on your own. And what we want to do is make sure that all components of JWICs are in warranty. So a lot of that is tech refresh, but that comes down to simple things like even just patching for cybersecurity patches that come out. If the infrastructure is old, it's no longer supported by the vendor networks that we, what we use to actually make up all the components of JWICs. So by refreshing them, it gets us in that warranty period. And the, mm. and the industry standards is about five to seven years. And that's what we're mm. trying to bring it down into is to keep the hardware um, and the entire infrastructure of JWICs to that five-year, seven-year tech refresh cycle. So we can obviously take advantage now of not only the new technologies, but the support that comes along with it, and also the security that you, you get as part of having a more modernized infrastructure. Yeah. So that's that's the initial focus of what JWICs is. Right. And that's where we're starting now. And, and that's a little bit of strategy too, because obviously when you make an investments of the size that JWICs is, everyone wants to see progress. And mm -hmm. a lot of that progress is what you see right in front of you, right? So your average user will be able to immediately see that by having a more refreshed infrastructure. Even like in our homes, you know, with, with uh, you know, those commercial internet service providers, you're not happy if, you know, your network's slow or, you know, it goes up and down, comes on and offline. So that's the experience that we're shooting for from a user perspective. And a lot of that tech refresh component will get us there of, of increasing the reliability and availability of, of our network. And one thing you talked about at Dotus was just how we got to this point a mm -hmm. little bit, and you know sequestration play, played a role, and right. and I guess IT was kind of the bill payer right. there, right? How, so how how did it come to the point where you kind of got a thirty year old network that you're really needing to just get up to speed and get into warranty, yeah. as as you put it? Yeah. So you know when you think about sequestration, and it's not just sequestration, mm. but I always joke that technologies like oxygen you don't really think about it until you don't have it yeah, right, <laughs> so right. and and you know that's that's always been the case but sequestration certainly hit the community hard the federal government as a whole hard because mm -hmm. that was what we used as the bill player to preserve what the primary missions of agencies were whether it was collection or analysis or even outside of the intelligence community or dod you know it's an easy decision to defer it and the refresh of it to down the road worry about it later right but what ended up happening was really counterproductive in the sense of not just that we delayed it, but what ended up happening was is we got into a scenario um, that's frequently uh, seen across the community, which is known as shadow IT. And yeah. shadow IT is where you're not man managing it as an enterprise. You're now managing it as a bunch of different agencies separately or a bunch of different components within an agency separately. And... You know, one thing I've learned as, as a systems engineer is that unless you design something from the beginning, it won't integrate after the fact. 
Sure. And in fact, I remember reading a report from GAO in 2017, and it said that most government IT efforts are behind budget and over schedule because of the lack of requirements. Hmm. And really what that means is that requirements are what determines how interoperable things are. Unless you design them to be interoperable, it'll be clunky at the end of the day. And that was the impact of deferring that IT because then it became really segmented into other smaller components that then started to be their own IT providers. Sure. And that didn't that now we find ourselves in a place where it's not interoperable. And I think about this I was playing Legos with my daughter um, and you know we we of course bought a lot of Legos very expensive uh, and our kids like to play with Legos so they last about five minutes after you follow the instructions and you put together a castle or whatever mm -hmm. and then it all goes into this bin so now we have a huge bin of Legos that you know from different sets that you know don't really go together but now we're in the free build mode because I refuse to buy any more Legos yeah. um, so my daughter was building uh, a house and so great looked like a house and then she added some wings to it she said look it's a plane and then you know, she wanted to make a car, so she added, you know, wheels. And the reality was, is it looked like the same thing. It wasn't streamlined. It all looked blocky. It wasn't streamlined in terms of its design. And that's how Legos work, right? You can put together the individual pieces, but it's not going to be a streamlined, integrated thing at the end of the day that actually looks like something that really resembles a, a house or a plane. And that IT follows that same model. Sure. So if you build all of these separate infrastructures that weren't designed to connect together, it can work, but it's not going to work efficiently. It's going to be clunky. And that's where we've been with JWIX, uh, but also our local area networks. We right. see that in our desktop environment. You know, it wasn't that long ago where we just got integrated chat across the community, across right. the intelligence community, across agencies. Simple thing to do that we take for granted, you know, on the outside, like our phones um, or email, right? It's not hard to email a friend. Uh, you know, whether it's Gmail or it's not hard to text a friend who might be on, you know, a Verizon network and you're on, you know, another provider because there's a translator behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But we didn't design it that way. So those simple things have really taken way longer than mm -hmm. they should. And that was because we never designed it that way from the beginning. We all went our separate ways. And that's what agencies are, are struggling with right now across our community is how do you make it all together? Because if there's anything that we've seen over the current crises like COVID or Ukraine or you name it, it it's that we're all integrated together. We can't answer those problems individually. Right. We've got to bring all of the data, all the intelligence that we have to bear to create that integrated picture. And that's hard to do when your IT wasn't designed to be integrated in the first place. Sure. And that's now what we finally realized, that IT is an enabler for every single thing we do in this community. And when you think about companies like, you know, Amazon or, you know, Tesla or whatever, whatever company that you, you can picture in your head, IT isn't what they do. It's not what they provide, but it's the key enabler to how they do it. And now we realize that in this community that you can't perform any function, you know, whether it's tasking or collection or disseminating everything that we do in intelligence without an integrated IT foundation. Sure. And that's why we're seeing more emphasis and priority across that. But it all starts a lot of that with JWIX, which is that yeah. highway that brings it all together yeah. for agencies to be able to share. And so DIA is overseeing that 
whole modernization and, and kind of integration. Right. What's your strategy for going out and doing that? And I, I assume there are cases where you have to tell a local unit to, you know, shut down something and right. switch to something else. Right. And they're in the middle of, you know, a mission um, right. or, or, or something ver- that's a very high priority. How, how do you go out and actually uh, uh, do that? So when we started with this effort, which was a couple of years ago, to the point that I made about you know, the GAO study and requirements, that's where we started. Mm-hmm. As we started talking to all the different mission areas and the customers that support JWIX, mm-hmm. whether it's the IC or the broader DOD or even bigger federal government that relies on top secret information that actually uses JWIX. I mean, you, when you think about it, like CT data, a lot of the law enforcement communities involved sure. in that, and they have access to JWIX as well. So we talked to all those different customer sets, and we started to really bound and prioritize what those functional needs were that they had. And a lot of it came down to, um, you know, parts of the world that we weren't traditionally operating in, or mobility is also a big thing, but also the timeline to be able to get access. You know, when we started this in the early 90s, you know, it could take several months to up to a year to create a JWIX node. And given that the pace of which things happen today um, in DOD and the IC, we don't have months or years to actually set something up. We have minutes. Mm -hmm. And that's really been the driving force. When it comes down to you know, planning and, and disrupting operations. Of course, we're not gonna we're not gonna do that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but one thing that I would emphasize that we've really shifted to is in cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. And I'll go back to you know we talked about the highway analogy of JWIX, where JWIX is like the 495 of networks on the top secret fabric, and all of the towns, the exits that you go to, or the different agencies. So carrying on with that analogy to cars, we had a very ro- we have a very robust inspection program. Um, for everyone that joins JWIX. Now where we're moving towards is a continuous inspection program. Hmm. And this gets to the cyber side and to your question of, you know, how do you not disrupt operations? Well, the way we don't do that is we take a more different approach to this. It's not a one-time inspection like we used to do in the old days, and then we come back maybe a year or two later, or maybe three, five years later, and inspect it again and say, hey, you're way out of compliance. Now it's gonna, it's, we're moving towards that continuous model which is also part of JWIX modernization, where we're constantly validating. Um, that, of course, right now today um, is partly manual of mm-hmm. actually physically inspecting the sites that are connected um, and doing that you know, on a continuous basis. But where we really need to move towards is a more automated way, right, of understanding everyone that's connected, everything that's connected, and doing that constant validation of it which gets back to zero trust, right? Which, right? which we also talked about at DOTUS, and you heard a lot of the other speakers, uh, to include the ICCIO and DOD CIO, um, really emphasize was the need to move to zero trust. And that's, that's the other big component, the second major component of JWIC's modernization. And that's how we not disrupt operations. You design all of that in the beginning, mm-hmm. so we're not coming again in the middle of an operation and say you're not compliant or this isn't working. We're constantly doing that assessment, whether it's performance or cybersecurity or otherwise. And again, that's Defense Intelligence Agency CIO Doug Casa. We're going to take a short break, but we'll pick up the conversation when we come back. I'm Justin Doubleday, and you're listening to Inside the IC on Federal News Network. With the broadest range of breakthrough technology solutions, Microsoft Azure for Government is the choice for classified missions. Built for government agencies and their partners, 
unlock insights, build new capabilities, and empower collaboration in secret and top-secret environments. Microsoft Azure is built for national security missions, combining cloud-native capability with classified networks, hybrid and multi-cloud, to create a developer-friendly platform that is ready anywhere and secure everywhere. Visit MicrosoftFederal.com. That's MicrosoftFederal.com. Welcome back to Inside the IC. I'm Justin Doubleday, and I'm speaking with Doug Casa, the CIO at the Defense Intelligence Agency. On the civilian side of the government, they're also moving toward automation. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, CISA yep. has its continuous diagnostics and mitigation program. Right. Do you have something you know similar on the on the top secret side, mm-hmm. so you can get after that vision that you just laid out? Yeah, exactly. And you know, when I think about it, that really gets for us the major components of zero trust on networks mm-hmm. is constantly identifying and validating what our cross-domain solutions are, constantly validating you know, the system inventories and the account inventories across the network, um, constantly validating the encryption standards that are used to ensure that everything is compliant in terms of communication. So that automation is key for us. And you know, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about AI, um, um, and that's what it really means for us in DIA-CIO is AI in terms of automating our awareness. It's not necessarily, you know, replacing the installation necessarily of a physical server, but it's it's helping automate our awareness of everything that's connected to our network. Got it. Um, and that that is absolutely a priority of ours as we yeah. move forward into the future. And then and then the cloud obviously I, I assume plays a huge role in JOX modernization. It does, um, yeah. The IC has had the. C2E contract now for a couple of years uh, with several cloud service providers and DOD just awarded the uh, joint warfighting cloud capability. And I guess for JWix, that's what? Setting up these cloud access points, basically, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. figuring out how you actually connect to the cloud right. via top secret network? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, going back to the example that I used of, you know, your own internet service provider uh, or the 495 example, the highway system and the towns, an easy way to view it is a cloud, the cloud, whether it's, you know, any one of the vendors is another town and mm-hmm. JWix is the means to actually get you to one of those towns, or in this case, one of those other cloud offerings. Right. Now where, where we are today is, is that much of that is here, you know, in the U S and that works for some agencies, especially outside of the IC or DOD. But the reality is for us, we're operating all over the world. Right. and really hard to get to places. And so this is where the partnership comes in between industry and government is planning where are those cloud services going to be around the world that we would get access to. And that's important for DIA and, and in particular our JWIX team because we're the ones that are going to help create those access points to those clouds. Sure. And when you think about it, today most everything's connected through fiber, right? So it travels at the speed of light information. Uh, and if we're trying to reach a cloud service here in the U.S. from, you know, another location on the other side of the world, there's going to be performance issues. There's going to yeah. be extreme latency because it literally is the speed of light that it takes to travel to that other location. And that's where those cloud exchange points come in because we have to create those in the most effective way to where it's closest to where we're conducting our operations, our missions, but in a way that we service the entire community because we can't put exchange points all around the world, right? So not every vendor is going to be working in, you know, certain parts of the world. Right. But we also have different mission needs, right? That's that's the 
value of the IC is we're not all focused on the same exact thing in the same exact locations. So for us, we've got to strategically plan where are we going to be around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and that, of course, is going to have to be in partnership with the vendors because they're building that infrastructure. And not only within the IC, but it's a balance with DOD. Right. And this is where you know this joint use idea between C2E on the Intel side and JWCC on the DOD side comes in. And DIA is really helping bridge those equities across the two. Hmm. Um, in fact, we had worked with DOD CIO um, to help sponsor JWCC um, as part of this whole joint use agreement between the IC and DOD. So we're using the same infrastructure and not going our separate paths. It, okay. it kind of gets back to my point of designing interoperability from the beginning. We're at a really unique point in time right now to where we've got these two efforts underway and we can design them to work together and have that co-use or alternatively, which luckily we're not doing, you know, the IC goes one direction and DOD in another, and then we find ourselves in a situation where we can't talk, you know, right. much like where we've been over the past 30 years because we didn't design it that way from the beginning. The that, that's what's exciting about this. Yeah, I, I mean, and the co-use agreements, can you explain the, the importance of those? Because from the outside, it's the same vendors on C2E. Right. It's the same vendors as on JWCC. So you're kind of like, well, what's what's the difference here? Why are these? Why do you need to set up all these sort of you know right. agreements? So what, what's the importance? So of I, this? you know, I like the term do, "doing common what's commonly done" in some cases, right? So we have common requirements for things like email, mm -hmm. um, but we might have unique requirements for other you know niche functions that we provide in the IC or the DoD. But where we are in common, not building a separate infrastructure that doesn't connect. Yeah. Right. So that's what we mean by joint use and the value of joint use of where we know we need to integrate and where how we communicate using that same infrastructure. And that that's also a conversation with the vendors as well, because it comes down to their designs and what they think is the most effective architecture for delivering the services that we're going to depend on. Sure. But where they can identify, hey, you don't need separate infrastructures. Right. We can use the same one. That's what we mean by co-use and the joint use piece between the IC and DOD. And I assume to get the vendors on board, they have to see the demand from exactly. across the community to be able to actually construct these these right. access points. Right. And, and it'll be an evolution, just like IT is. Right. Mm -hmm. So our use of that will evolve over time. But that's the challenge of identifying from where we are today and what will be available five to ten years from now and how our mission might change five to ten years from now and different parts of the world that will be our priorities. Those are all driving the plans that we need to develop today. Yeah. Last question on JWix. One thing you mentioned at DOTUS was how for several decades now, the U.S. has really drove um, networking standards mm -hmm. and how it's not an option to have anything built by adversaries on our networks. And I was wondering uh, if you could expand on that at all. What are you referring to there? What, what are some challenges that you're seeing in that right. space? So, you know, as the world becomes more interconnected, we are no longer like we were you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, developing all the technologies here within the federal government, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, the internet was largely driven by DARPA back in the day, right. Right? right? So they developed the technologies, they oversaw the integration. That's not true today, right? We're much more globalized in terms of our technology and the manufacturers and the dependencies that we have. As we move forward today and into the future, if we don't start driving that and start leading the integration and setting the standards for how we operate, and especially in terms of telecommunications, then we're not going to be at that advantage. We're not going to continue to have that advantage like we've had. 
Um, you know, an example I gave uh, a couple years ago was um, my wife's a computer science teacher. And on the first day of school, she has her students program a maze that, you know, a robot has to go find its way through. And the easiest way to program that is to just hug a wall. So if you go into a maze, and I saw this like in a corn maze. So every fall we go to a farm and we go through a corn maze kids and I and my wife go through a corn maze and my wife beats us every time because she knows if you just hug a wall, pick a side and hug that wall, you will come out of that maze. Hmm. May not be the most efficient way, but you'll get out of it. Sure. And if you do that and you run, you'll definitely get out of it. Hmm. Now she has that advantage because she understands the rules, right? So she wins every time because she set essentially how you play the game, how you play the, how you, you know, set the standards for, I know this is how I need to operate. Same applies to technology. If we don't set the standards, then we actually don't control the outcome of the game at the end of the day. Got it. And okay. so, you know, if it, it gives us a strategic advantage now to own the integration and the standards for technology, especially in telecommunications. Got it. World has definitely changed to where we're finding ourselves not necessarily at that advantage anymore. And we, we have to keep that okay. to be successful moving forward. And it's not an option, right? So, you know, the example I gave of the maze my wife understood the rules and she understood how to win because of that. If we're not developing the technologies and really leading that integration and the standards for telecommunication, then we don't own the rules of that game and yeah. we're not the main player anymore. And that's why it's so important, especially, you know, when you hear uh, DIA speak to strategic competition from an IT perspective, that is a big priority that we have to continue. Is that something that you can effect from your perch that your fellow mm -hmm. CIOs can affect from your perch? Okay. How, yeah. How are you going to know? Absolutely. That? Uh, and that, that comes down to a partnership with vendors of understanding yeah. the supply chain, controlling the supply chain and having, you know, that confidence that what we're integrating in continues that advantage for us. But there, you know, there are changes like in wireless. So there, there are certain paradigms that we've got to be able to overcome because vendors, industry, especially all around the world, they're not going to develop technology specifically for the intelligence community yeah. or the Department of Defense, right? We're going to be forced to eventually integrate in, you know, monitors that have Bluetooth capabilities uh, or wireless capabilities. And when it comes down to it, wireless is a means of transport, just like JWICS, mm -hmm. right? To where we use fiber in that example I gave you, it's a means of transport. If you look at wireless in the same way, it comes down to encryption and the security we have from it. It's just another way of sending information. And it's, it's a new way to look at the capabilities of wireless um, and figure out, okay, well, maybe it's not as scary as we think it is. Maybe yeah. if we actually can put in the cybersecurity standards that are necessary to protect what's transiting that network, then we can use it to our advantage. Sure. Um, and those are the types of things that really is a mindset shift of where I see us heading as a community. And I assume a zero trust architecture will help you maybe take on some of those things that were viewed as too risky Absolutely. in yeah. the past. Help us relook at, okay, there, there are new approaches to doing this now. There are new standards. Um, and as part of that, relooking at the policies of mm. what do we need to change, you know, in terms of IT. Wireless is a perfect example of that. And it goes more than just, you know, communications and when we talk about networks. Another example of that is, you know, technologies to support those with like pacemakers, right? To mm. where they have Bluetooth capabilities, which is a form of wireless. Right. So it goes more than just what we traditionally think of, of, you know, walking around with like a laptop or a phone. It goes down to just medical devices, as an example, hearing aids. Those are the things that we're faced with now. Technology is changing in that realm. We're going to have to adapt our policies and our security around that. 
it's not an option to say no. And that's where we've been. It actually transitions us into a, a Rehabilitation Act 508 discussion yeah. of we've always used that national security exemption. Now the DNI is flipping that model to where it's not an exemption anymore, the norm to leverage that exemption to where we don't have to consider accessibility. We now have to. And that's also really forcing a paradigm shift for us in a very good way. So. Yeah, that's something that came up at DOTUS mm -hmm. um, quite a bit. And it, it's certainly a positive development, I think. The IC has, has struggled to meet that federal benchmark of accessibility for people with disabilities. Right. I, I just wanted to quickly touch again on the wireless aspect. Do you have any pilot programs or anything yeah. where you're starting to explore this, or is this more in the notional phase still? No, we're, we're definitely piloting it. Okay. We're, we're certainly doing that um, using, again, the security standards we have for JWIX to pilot it. Okay. Um, in terms of putting that into operations, this is where, for, as a community level, we need to relook at those policies for how we actually deploy it. I so, guess the pilots will help you kind of yeah, perform that. I don't think it's a technology problem. Okay. Uh, it really is a mindset uh, policy change that, that is, is shifting. I can see it shifting already. Sure. Uh, as, you know, the, the world changes around us. I spoke at DOTUS about the example of cell phones and when cameras started first being integrated in cell phones. And I was working at an agency, and you were not allowed to bring your cell phone in your car to work. You had to leave your cell phone at home. Well, obviously, now look at our dependence on our cell phones and our connectivity to the outside world. It's not an option. Look at the technology within your car. You know, my car has, I think, eight cameras on it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so right. I'm driving into, you know, the gate today with eight cameras to include my cell phone. It's not an option to tell employees to not buy a car without cameras yeah. <laughs> because yeah. now it's actually law that you have to have a backup camera on your car. Yeah. Uh, they don't sell cars without backup cameras anymore. Sure. So that's what I mean by the world around us is changing and we have to adapt to it. Got it. And so that that's going to be the same in IT as well. Well, along those same lines, I know one thing that uh, you've been uh, working on since COVID uh, hit was the, the common operating environment for, mm -hmm. for desktop, you know, right. kind of extending desktop as a service out beyond the walls yep. uh, of DIA, at least for unclassified work, right? Right. Well, for classified work, actually. And classified work. Okay. But, well, both. But okay. yeah, it includes actually particularly the unclassified and top secret fabrics. So okay. Okay. we partnered years ago with NGA on what was known as the desktop uh, environment, uh, DTE. And we set up the infrastructure to do that. And agencies such as the Coast Guard adopted that model, but didn't expand beyond that point hmm. of just a handful of agencies. As we head into things like Zero Trust that have requirements, you know, additional requirements for agencies to adhere to, not necessarily everyone has that expertise or even the need to operate an infrastructure, you know, of that size. And so we have continued that partnership with NGA but to extend that desktop environment that we have to any agency that needs it, especially the smaller agencies, mm -hmm. to where you know that adds in that level of collaboration because it was designed that way in the beginning. And agencies don't have to maintain you know their own data centers or mm -hmm. you know their own infrastructure services. They can adopt a model that we are able to extend out to the rest of the community that integrates in because it was designed that way from the beginning. And that's our common operating environment. ODNI has sponsored for us what's known as the company storefront concept mm -hmm. to where you can essentially order those services from DIA as our front door, uh, hmm. partnering with NGA to then extend them out 
and it's not necessarily, you know, you have to take everything. Uh, we have a menu of services uh, that you could choose from to include, you know, Nipper or Highside. And so we've, we've now, you know, set up our program office to be able to start extending that out. Uh, we're working with, uh, I think, 17 agencies at this point right now okay. um, to be able to, to begin rolling this out. The big work is going to start next year, um, okay. but we're already starting to you know, meet with agencies, understand their requirements and how we can help them. And is this confined to business applications or is this a whole host of... It, it's, really, it's really everything, but we define it as really what's on your desk in front of you. Okay. Um, so things like your desktop VTC, your phone, your computers, but the email, you know, the infrastructure services, you get like email and chat. But as part of that, yes, absolutely. You get access to certain applications based on your role and your rights, because uh, it's all PKI enabled at the end of the day. So that allows you to get access to those you know, bigger agency offerings, um, but in a secure way, because we built security into the model that we have. So this is what brings me back to NSM8 and zero trust and those requirements. We have a lot of that built in already to our infrastructure. So agencies have the, the option to adopt it. Got it. So company storefront, b big plans for the next year. Can you can you preview those at all? Yeah. So we're, we're working with ODNI right now to really plan this out. But it all starts with an agency's requirements of I need to be on the JWIX fabric. And that's really where this is concentrated on is is. SCI. I think on the low side, a lot of agencies are probably going to go to the traditional cloud services. Sure. But on the high side, we don't have that option yet. And so it starts with their requirements. We begin with a site survey of understanding what they need to be able to connect to JWIC. Some already have it. Um, and then understanding their footprint across the world and how we need to deliver those services out. But it does get back to the more traditional desktop services that an agency would need to be able to just be in a productive work environment. Things like, you know, the, the HR systems, the finance systems, that's not what we're including as part of Company Store. Okay. It's really the foundational infrastructure that gets you connected to the rest of the community oh, interesting. Is, okay. is what we're offering out. So it's taken the best of what we've developed in our agencies, respective agencies with NGA, and what we stood up under that initial desktop environment construct to be able to extend that out. Do you see this lining up with the cloud eventually or how, yeah how that works. i i can absolutely see that transforming into a virtual desktop environment okay. especially as those capabilities come online and we, we've seen this in other areas where you know i anticipate that vendors will move towards that model to begin with to where we're not necessarily running our own infrastructure and our own data centers within our facilities but it would be more of a service offering a cloud service offering and so i think that is what the, the future of where we'll go is mm -hmm. more virtual desktop. And that's where we really rely on the vendor community to not only work with us, but work across the other vendors to be able to have integration across the services that we depend on. Because it's not an option for us to go back into a stovepipe model where we're purchasing capabilities or bringing capabilities into our environment that don't talk with anything else. Right. That That's the environment that we're really trying to get away from. So these proprietary offerings that are really siloed I, I think those days are behind us now because it, it's not an option for us to be able to, you know, just have knowledge within one agency or data within one agency that we can't expand out and integrate with other offerings. Yeah, well, I mean, that it's a perfect bridge to kind of my next question, which is um, how DIA is planning to use AI and machine learning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think DIA is coming out with an AI strategy mm -hmm. here in the near term. And we talked about that at DOTUS a little bit. But yeah. can you talk about how you're trying to create kind of a foundation for that type of big data analysis, machine learning type analysis, maybe getting to, you know, real 
AI somewhere sure. down the road? I think there are a couple aspects to this. One I mentioned already, which is on the IT side, hmm. to where we get away from the physical monitoring, the physical maintenance, to yeah. more virtual monitoring and virtual maintenance. For JWIX, an example of that is like self-healing networks, right? To where I'm not flying people out all around the world to replace you know, a piece of hardware. We can actually virtually monitor that hardware and replace it, seeing indicators that it's potentially gonna fail and then be more proactive in our tech refresh plans as we move forward. And I see AI as a form of being able to do that proactive and more automated monitoring. When I started in this community you know, over 20 years ago, one of my first jobs was actually as an administrator of a database server. And you know, I'd mainly pull the logs off and write down the status of everything and report that at the end of the day. That's all automated now. And now we're moving that to the idea is to move that to our entire infrastructure across both wide area networks, local area networks, and desktop. So I, I see you know a tremendous need for automation in that area, and especially on the cybersecurity side. And sure. that's the whole point of zero trust is just that you know, you've got that continuous monitoring awareness of everything that's going on in your networks. In terms of collection and analysis, we're certainly moving in that direction with a program that we named MARS within the agency here within DIA. And that is moving from the more manual process that we've traditionally had on infrastructure around the world, which ultimately supports collection analysis, but we have the mission to maintain a system of infrastructure, which has traditionally been a manual process. Mm -hmm. Now, as we think about or the dynamic environment that we're in, and we have all these new sources of data that we're bringing in, we can no longer manually input that in. And so that's where we see automation is really automating the feeds from the sources that we have, whether it's on you know a commercial data set side or data from another agency, is automating that population of that infrastructure database that we manage uh, for the community. Yeah. So that that's an example of how we're helping to automate data that supports collection and analysis. As we think about it in the future though, and I, and I spoke a little bit about this at DOTUS, um, there does get into a tradecraft piece. Uh, in fact, yeah. our panel with Trent Mall, who is our director of intelligence, I asked him, how do we avoid that black box idea that, you know, we really don't know what happens, you know, in terms of automation, but we're just going to trust its outcome. And that's not an option for us as well. Yeah. Right. So we have very precise analytic tradecraft standards that we have to follow that I think everyone would agree applies to artificial intelligence as well. The thing about you know, AI and automation is that it doesn't replace critical thinking, which is the unique value of what we provide, you know, especially as an all source provider of intelligence within the community, is that AI in particular, it's just that it's, it's artificial, right? I mean, we were thinking in binary, it doesn't overlay a sense of experience and, you know, that critical thinking that's required for intelligence. And so there does need to remain those tradecraft standards to where we're validating the sources, we're validating our methods of how we're doing that analysis, and we're validating and showing the homework that we used for how we came to the conclusions that we did. And sure. that's the importance that we need to overlay on top of AI as we move into the future are those tradecraft standards. When I was at ODNI, uh, prior to coming into this role, I helped lead a study of what are those you know, standards that we need to implement for AI as we continue to adopt it in our community. And really the conclusion was is the same applies you know, as we have today to you know, machine learning and AI or whatever you want to call it in terms of our methods for automating the functions that we do. But certainly you know, those day-to-day -day tasks like the example I gave you in terms of you know, how I did the server logs back in the day, 
that doesn't require any sort of tradecraft, right? Those yeah. are things that are automated, you know, machine readable, and we can actually use that to create awareness across our environment. Um, so it's really, you know, when I think about the value of how we integrate it in today, um, especially for IT management, I see a, a huge need for automation that we're already beginning to adopt in terms of how we manage our IT enterprise. And I mean, on, on, in both of those areas, there are a lot of, you know, new non-traditional companies coming up doing cybersecurity automation. Mm -hmm. And of course, on the AI and machine learning side, that's a really burgeoning industry. I've heard in the past that it's tough for non-traditional and small contractors to break in mm -hmm. to the intelligence community. Are you doing anything along those lines to make that easier? We are. So we have a site called Needopedia in the agency to where they're not huge contracts. These are really areas that we're exploring and looking for new ways to do business. And we put requirements out there. And we even have used, uh, you know, components of JWIX as we think about, you know, the automation and the self-healing of networks and all of that, all of that that we've incorporated into our JWIX requirements that are driving um, ultimately that acquisition. You know, the things that we have less well-defined where we don't know what the answers are. Um, we're looking for new ideas, you know, taking the opportunity to experiment, we put out on Needopedia, which is a site that um, any company can go to, hmm. to understand the future of where we, we want to go and what those requirements are that we need that partnership and we need that thinking. And that is certainly a way for small businesses to get engaged yeah. as well. Great. Um, at Dotus, you mentioned one of your, your focuses as CIO is eliminating the unnecessary. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering if some you could expand on that. Yeah. Do, you have any, do you have any examples of what, what's unnecessary that maybe you've eliminated or want to eliminate? Yes, actually. And this goes bigger than just the agency, but also in uh, the community is enterprise licensing. And, and I've seen this as an example in visualization tools to where we all go off and we've identified a neat capability and we've developed a contract you know, with that, that service provider. Yet we find that, okay, we've all actually developed the same contract and we're not hmm. necessarily doing this in the most efficient way yeah. as possible. That, that's an example of eliminating, you know, a lot of the unnecessary is streamlining the acquisition of how we buy things, whether it's tools or even commercial data. We've seen mm -hmm. this in open source, especially as DIA is taking the lead in open source for the defense intelligence enterprise is how do we streamline the purchasing of commercially available data? How do we make that more accessible? So right. rather than purchasing it in pockets or acquiring tools in pockets or even acquiring infrastructure in pockets, looking at that as a shared service that we can all join into as opposed to, you know, operating stovepipes of, you know, different service offerings. How, how do you get after that on the, on the OSINT side specifically? Are you putting together any sort of... Yeah, program? and so, yes. And so we have set up within the agency an, an open source element under our director of science and technology to actually lead this not only for the agency, but the defense intelligence enterprise. Okay. Um, and so as part of that, we've established a defense open source council to where we bring in the um, those, whether they're their own open source uh, operations across the defense community, defense intelligence community, or they're users of defense intelligence information. We brought that together under what we call the DAS, the defense open source committee that actually takes all of those equities, the requirements, but also helps integrate and synchronize open source operations, which includes 
a lot of commercial data sets that we've purchased as a community, how we do that more efficiently. Was that driven by the war in Ukraine or was that preceding it's actually, that? It's actually been going on for a few years now. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and part of that is working with the national intelligence community as well. Part of what I would consider, you know, a foundational function for any sort of enterprise management of, you know, whether it's collection or analysis or IT, yeah. is to actually have a body that represents the user community, but also the service provider community to be able to ensure that we're synchronizing our efforts. And essentially, you know, a requirement maybe comes in from some unit that's farther down the chain and you say, well, these other units have the same requirement. Right. Maybe we can bring them together. Right. But another example of eliminating the unnecessary is like the desktop environment. So we're not all developing our own desktop environments that don't work with each other. If we have a standard offering that meets the policies and requirements for cybersecurity and interoperability across the community, let's use that. And we can create efficiencies that way to where other agencies don't need to worry about, you know, hiring their own expertise to be able to maintain their environment, which may not need to exist sure. in its own silo. So it sounds like there, there's just multiple IT modernization initiatives happening here all at, all at once under, under your purview. Do you see any challenges that maybe we haven't talked about today? Do you see any opportunities o- over the next five or so years that you, that you yeah. can talk about? So I think one of the biggest opportunities um, that you've heard me state is, is our, one of our priorities for the agency, and me in particular as the CIO, is, is international connectivity, especially with our 5i partners. Yeah, there's an opportunity now that as a lot of us are migrating towards cloud services, because those are becoming available, what I don't want to see happen is is that every nation, especially those where we have those close partnerships, where we have that regular collaboration of intelligence that we share, go off and now create cloud stovepipes. And so yeah. we have an opportunity now to actually work together to where a lot of those foundational services like identity and credential management actually work across to mm-hmm. where we don't have you know separate profiles that don't connect huge opportunity for us right now in front of us to be able to design this from the beginning working with our vendor community to design those foundational services that we need to be able to connect and collaborate together so we're not going off in our separate directions is that something Uh, you've talked about with your five eyes partners we have yeah yeah. we run dia runs what's known as the information management technology group with our five eyes cio equivalents and so this is something that we're collectively focused on is that interoperability that exchange of information across clouds and would that maybe expand beyond five eyes in the future or absolutely yeah and and we've seen that in ukraine as an example okay Um, you know that's more than just a five eye problem that's that's an entire world problem that you know requires us to integrate with you know traditional but also non-traditional partners as we move into the future. Got it. One last question I have for you, and then I'll open it up for anything else you want to mention. You know, DNI, the Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haynes, has spoken openly and about how overclassification can harm national security. And mm-hmm. from your perspective as the CIO, obviously you're worried about IT and tech modernization, but, right. you know, information's in your, your title. I'm wondering, where do you see that as an issue within your kind of what you're paying attention to, maybe how are you getting after yeah. overclassification and, and yeah. those types of issues? Well, you know, a lot of a lot of the applications that we leverage today have evolved over time, but were developed in a time where, you know, that international collaboration wasn't as much as a priority, you know, let's say 15, 20 years ago, to where it was all, you know, contained within our community. As those applications continue, we find ourselves that those releasable functions weren't designed back then that we now have to consider. So as we move forward, you know, one opportunity and one priority for me as CIO is to create an environment as we develop new capabilities 
that we overlay those standards for international interoperability at the get-go rather than it being an afterthought like it was you know when we developed 15 20 years ago and so creating that common development environment is really important for our agency to where we're designing those controls and those security measures to be able to release information and collaborate on information external to our agency and external to the community in many cases Another part of that is just streamlining the simple functions of how we classify things. Classifying something as not releasable is actually really easy to do. Classifying it as releasable actually takes like four or five clicks to be able to do. And so when you think about it, and this is, this is true of any IT, you know, think about Amazon. We use Amazon because it's easy to purchase something. doesn't mean you can find the best price on something, but we use it because I can, you know, within one or two clicks, get something, you know, shipped to my house very easily. Mm -hmm. And the same needs, is true for how we design our applications is that it needs to be easy. And so, you know, if I want to send an email to a 5i partner, rather than five clicks, maybe making it one or two clicks hmm. and that gets more use, right? So it's yeah. it's removing a lot of, you know, the, the inconvenience um, yeah. that's been designed in because that was the way that we did it back then. And now looking at it a new way of making things easier to share rather than adding additional steps that make it more complex. I assume that's not just purely an IT problem. That's a, that's a policy challenge, right? It is, right? but in many ways it does go back to the ease of use. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that, that email example that I provided of clicking things releasable, yeah, yeah, taking right. four steps as opposed to one step. Sure. So there are absolutely things that we can do on the IT side that makes it easier from a user perspective. Got it. Well, uh, again, uh, I've been speaking with DIA CIO Doug Casa. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Inside the IC, sponsored by Microsoft Federal. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Inside the IC on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your shows.